Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Thank you very kindly, Dr. Morocco. What a great time to be alive. I'd like everybody to take a deep breath and give the Lord the loudest shout you've given him this whole weekend. Now, before you're seated, slap somebody a high five and say, you've never looked better in your whole life. And then you may be seated. God bless you. As Dr. Morocco said, we met each other a number of years ago when we worked together on a project. And I told my wife many times the best thing that came out of that project is that our lives crossed each other's path. And for that I will be forever thankful. We love and respect Dr. Morocco and Pastor Colleen they are some of the best you will find in the whole wide world. Well, I think they deserve a better applause than that one. I feel very honored and blessed to be a friend of Dr. Morocco. I regard him highly as a great man of God. One of the most unusual apostles I have met in my life, and I have met many apostles. That's why I will ask you to pray for him, and Pastor Colleen, as you have never prayed for them. I do believe that the word that I gave to them last evening is going to be exactly that, that the season that they are about to go in is going to be a challenging season because it's going to be sailing into the unknown but trusting God to break forth. Pray for them with all sincerity. Pray for them as you have never prayed before in love and in high regard. Thank you, Dr. Morocco for this opportunity. I was blessed to be part of this anniversary with the Hookses. That was so great, so exciting. My wife and I have been married a little more than twice the 25 that you are celebrating tonight. And what I would really like to say to everybody, in all the years that Anne and I have been married, we have never had an argument. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> we have never had an argument. We have only had moments of intense fellowship. And one day, 
during one of those moments of intense fellowship, I was aggravated. I looked at her. I said to her, honey, I can't understand how God could make you so beautiful and so stupid both at the same time. She looked at me with a big smile and she said to me, you are right. God made me beautiful so that you can love me. And he made me stupid so that I can love you. No, 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 that's just the preacher story. That didn't really happen. <laughs> but we thank God for his marvelous grace for keeping us through the years of ministry, hardships, love, and great moments. But this evening, we are going to concentrate on the word of God. It's right now, it's 7.02. And I'm going to try to not preach too long. And if I look up, my wife is going to make eyes at me because she says, every time you say that, you act, you're going to preach extra long. <laughs> but I'm going to try not to do that. Let's pray together. And now, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask dear God let these next few minutes. Become life changing moments. To each one of us. In Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to talk to you this evening on a subject that has become very interesting to me. As a matter of fact, I've spent many, many hours in research and digging deeper into the full meaning of what I'm going to talk to you about. And because there is so much in my mind, I'm going to ask you to bear with me that as I begin, I'm going to try and stick to my notes or else we will still be here until midnight. But I want to talk to you about something that has changed my mind and has ignited my spirit about the church of the living God. There were three religious structures that ancient Israel built to house the Ark of the Covenant. The two main structures involved the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. But for a brief period of time, stuck between the tabernacle of Moses and Solomon's temple was the tabernacle of David. And scripture says in Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, 
which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Because I have a very inquisitive mind when we come to things like this. I couldn't just read it and leave it there. If God spoke through the prophet Amos and God says that there's going to be a specific day that he will raise up the tabernacle of David, then I'm going to find out when was the tabernacle of David then rebuilt. I like how the New Living Translation says it. He says, in that day, I want everybody to say, in that day. Come on, say it a little louder. Say, in that day. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls and from the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore it to its former glory. When I read that, I knew somewhere in some time, there was going to have to be a very powerful restoration of the tabernacle of David. Now most people know about the tabernacle of Moses and also know about the temple of Solomon, which was really the one with all the grandeur and all the splendor. But the tabernacle of David has never really received a lot of biblical press. And yet, according to Amos 9 verse 11, it is the tabernacle that God decided that he wants to rebuild. My question would be, why did God want to restore David's tabernacle? and not the tabernacle of Moses, which was his first dwelling place built to divine detail. Why didn't God later on say that he wanted to rebuild the temple of Solomon with all of its grandeur and extravagance? And there's a reason why God said that, and we're going to discover that. So let's look very briefly at the origination of the tabernacle of David. And I don't want to bore you with too many details, but I do want to lay the foundation so that we can understand exactly what this restoration is all about. One of the first things that David did when he came into full rulership of Israel was to establish a place called Zion also called the city of Zion or even the city of David because there was something in his heart that was alive. There was a mission, there was a passion on his inside. And David longed for the presence of God to be made manifest and decided to do something about that. And his longing for the manifest presence of God resulted in him retrieving the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom where it at last resided and he brought it to Jerusalem. 
Now, if I can interrupt myself just for a moment, I'm sure most of you would understand that the Ark of the Covenant is actually the representation of the presence of God. And so he brought, let me put it in these words, he brought the presence of God into Zion. He brought the presence of God to a place where he and everybody else could experience the manifest presence of God. The Bible says that David placed the ark under a very simple tent. And when he had placed the ark of the covenant under the simple tent, he instilled ongoing praise and worship available for all people who had a heart for God. Now everybody say all people. Say it again, all people. He, he placed the ark under this tent so that all people could have access to the very presence of God. And this meager tabernacle is what God said he wanted to see restored. Because you see, the, the tabernacle of David was very unique. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only similarity between the tabernacle of David and the other two places of worship was that it housed the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. That was the only similarity between the three. Both the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon alike were hedged in and consisted of three enclosed areas which restricted people from entering into the presence of God. There was the court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And the Ark of the Covenant was in the holy of holies. But right in front of the Holy of Holies was a very thick, heavy veil. And this veil made sure that nobody could get behind the veil and get into the presence of God other than the high priest. I want to say again that in both these, these places of worship, the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon, they were all restricted and only the high priest could get into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was hidden from the sight of all people. These things that I'm sharing with you are very important. That's why I wanna take some time to build that. And that factually meant that the high priest was the only one who ever had the experience of the Shekinah glory and presence of God. 
Now, one of the reasons why that happened is that when Israel took off on their journey, God spoke to them. But when God spoke to them, they became so afraid when God spoke to them that they said to Moses, Moses, you tell God that he should speak to you and then you can speak to us. And then that happened. God gave them the law and then the instructions of the tabernacle of Moses and the Ark of the Covenant. And God said that in the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant on top of the mercy seat is where the blue flame of God's glory will appear. And God said to Moses, from there I will speak to you. And then he would then speak to the people. If the people only knew what they were doing. If they only understood the separation that was come between them and the very manifest presence of God. So only the high priest could go in and that after he has done and made some sacrifices, everybody else had to remain outside and they could never see the ark or experience the glory of God being manifested. There was a very clear restriction on who could enter in these two facilities. People who were illegitimate were not allowed to visit at all. Now, that's very important. Now, pardon me that I don't have time to go into all the detail, but this was one of the reasons why, uh, why David never really loved the tabernacle of Moses. Because David himself could not enter there. He was illegitimate. Now, that's where I've got to stop because if I continue from there onward, I'm going to have to go into too much detail. But David himself was illegitimately born according to the history and the word of God. So David was never comfortable with the tabernacle of Moses and all of the restrictions that people couldn't get into the very presence of God. The question is, what was so significant about the tabernacle of David? It was a simple tent. No building instructions were given. It was, listen to me, it was no more than a tarp stretched over some tent poles to shield the ark from the sun and the elements. Yet God said, I want to rebuild that one. Why did God want to rebuild that one? I want to give you a few points where I, why I believe that that's the reason why God wanted to rebuild and restore the tabernacle of David. It's first of all, I want to say the tabernacle of David removed all the restrictions and form of legalism and religious order. Secondly, it provided full access to everyone to the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. It was an open tabernacle. You could see the blue flame of God's glory from a distance. You could see God was there. You could, uh, you could observe the presence. And that's what David wanted. He wanted a place where people could come day and night and enter into the very presence of a very real God. God. 
Thirdly, I want to say that there was no veil of separation separating the men and the women and Gentiles as there were in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. Everyone who would could come. Let me say again. At the ark of the, of the tabernacle of David, whosoever wanted to come could come. Whoever wanted to walk into that tabernacle could walk into it. There was free access. That's what David wanted. He didn't want the kind of worship that had restrictions. He wanted an open tabernacle where people could come in and could experience the very presence of God. That's why he wanted a tabernacle of this kind. Again, there were no restrictions due to disabilities or illegitimacy. This means that even David could go in there. Other than at the inauguration, there were no sacrifices, animal sacrifices at the tabernacle of David. The only sacrifices that were required in the tabernacle of David was the sacrifice of praise. Everybody say sacrifice of praise. Say I'm a praiser. Come on, say it out loud. I'm a praiser. And since I'm a praiser, Go ahead, since I'm a praiser, I can also go in. I love to praise. I love to sing. I love to dance. I love to worship God. And if that's you, it meant you could also walk into the tabernacle of David and experience the very presence of a very real God. Somebody shout and give God praise. What was so unique also about the tabernacle of David is that it generated a new form of praise and worship involving instruments, singing, and dancing. We could call Psalms the tabernacle of the, 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 the tabernacle. Let me say that again. We could call Psalms the tabernacle of David's hymn book because most of the Psalms were written during the time of the tabernacle of David. There was a whole lot of inspiration that came out. That, that's why many of the, of the Psalms that you read, if you put that in context with the tabernacle of David, you will understand that. Why he says that we should praise at night. I believe that, that David many nights when he couldn't sleep, he got out of bed and he pulled away the drapes and he looked towards the tabernacle and between the dancing feet of the worshipers he could see the flick flame of the blue flame of God's presence and glory that was upon the mercy seat. But what's also very interesting about that is that an order of worship prevailed that continued with no end. Singers and musicians were engaged to praise and give thanks and prophesy and worship before the ark of God for 24 hours of every day. Seven days out of every week. 365 days per year for almost 40 years. Non-stop worship could be heard from Mount Zion. 
the kind of worship that connected to the worship of heaven. It was not just idle singing or going through the motions. It was deep-seated, concentrated, heavenly worship in the very presence of God. As the presence of God was manifested, they stood there. They worshiped. They played their tambourines. They danced and they sang all through the night for almost 40 years. There was no stop to that revival. I'm praying to God that the United States of America will very soon experience a non-stop revival. If that's what you desire, let me hear somebody shout and give God praise in this house tonight. Come on, give him better praise than that. Tommy Tinney writes it like this. He says, day and night the worshipers stood, danced and worshiped in the presence of God. It was as if they were holding open the heavens with their upraised hands. If David would look hard enough, he could see the worshipers. He could see the blue flame of the glow, the glory of the Lord radiating between them. Oh, I want to see, say to you tonight, I long for a demonstration of the mighty presence of God in a way where we can know that it's got nothing to do with man. It's got everything to do with Almighty God. It's got nothing to do with denomination or organization or fellowship or ordinances. It has everything to do with the very presence of God manifested as we worship Him. Somehow, in some way, David captured something of the heart of God. Something that no one else was ever able to achieve. David was a chaser of God's manifest presence. And from the very first moment he experienced the glory of God's presence, he found himself searching for it more than anything else in his life. I'm so glad that I'm standing on the platform of a church that's not ashamed of the manifest presence of God. I'm standing on the platform of a church that proclaims miracles, signs, and wonders at every occasion. We've been here for a few days now. We've been in several services. And every time we get together, Dr. Morocco says, those of you that are sick in your body, step into the aisle. We're going to believe God for a miracle. Every time we have church, he makes a moment of the miraculous to take place. I want to say I'm happy to stand and proclaim on a platform of a church of this kind that we are hungry for the presence of God. We are 
hungry for the glory of God. We are hungry for miracle signs and wonders. And I declare unto you tonight uh, here in, in, in KC, you better get ready because you are going after God. You're hungry for God. You're calling on the glory of God. And because of his glorious manifest presence, miracles are going to happen. You are going to see blind eyes open. Deaf ears are going to work. I want to say to you that the lame is going to rise up. As a matter of fact, you'd better get ready and line out these walls with all the crutches that won't be needed anymore. Don't take that lightly. God is about to do something in this church that will rock the world. Oh, come on. Somebody, somebody give God praise. Hallelujah. Everybody shout out loud. We are. Oh, come on. I know you can do better than that. Everybody shout, we are. Hungry for more, more of the presence and the power and the glory of God. I'm ready to receive it right now. If you believe that, throw your hands up in the air and begin to call upon God. Call upon God. Hallelujah. David's yearning to establish this sukkah or sukkah was to have a place where all people could freely approach the Ark of the Covenant to personally and directly experience the presence of God. This is what's wonderful, ladies and gentlemen. It's not only Dr. Morocco that can experience the presence of God. Not only the prophets, not only the pastors, the ministers. It's available to every believer. Every child of God washed in the blood of the Lamb, redeemed and set free. You have the right on the grounds of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to walk into the presence of God and just simply give Him praise and honor and glory. And because that's what David yearned for, is the reason God said in Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Oh, come on, let's bring that right into where we are. God is saying he's looking for a place where he will be honored and he will be glorified and where his presence is welcome. He is looking for a place that is, that is ready to host his presence, to not just go through the motions, don't go only through the religious exercises, but say what we are yearning for are not man, made stuff, what we are yearning for is the manifest presence of God the glory of God that's what we are hungry for and wherever God finds a 
people that are ready to host his presence. He will likewise say, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. And I'm so happy. I feel like I can jump like Apostle C, but I can't jump as good as he can jump. Just like I cannot wave my curls like Bishop who can do his curls. But I want to say to you, I feel like jumping and shouting and say, God, you are welcome here. Your presence is welcome. Come in your power. Come in your glory. Come in your presence. Hallelujah. That's why God liked the tabernacle of David better than any other. It was an open tabernacle with unending worship with a blue flame of his glory went out. That could be why God said David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because David knew how to entertain, how to host the presence of God. He knew how to cultivate the atmosphere through praise and worship to where God could settle and feel comfortable and say, I want to settle here in Casey. I want to settle here. I don't want to leave. So that whenever the church goes home, the presence is still here. Well, the presence goes with you, but the presence still stays here. Let me tell you a very quick story, and I want to hurry this, that, that we, because of the move of God that we experienced in our church, we had to finally build a worship center that could seat 3,500 people. Mighty move of God. We, we saw more than 4,000 people get saved in a nine-week period of time. God moved powerfully. And do you know why? I just want to say, because God taught us to host the presence of God. But this is what I want to tell you real quickly. Because of the gigantic size of building in a city that there's only about 60,000 people, people many times came and they wanted to take tours of the building. One afternoon during the lunch hour, I was alone there. All the staff had left. The church building was locked or it was supposed to be. It was built and constructed in a way that you, there was a pathway around the worship center all the way around. And we walked around that as a prayer circle. And that particular day, I left my office to walk around and pray. When I came into the main foyer, there's a woman standing. I still don't know to this day how she got there, but nevertheless, she looked at me. She had no idea who I was, which I think was good. And she said to me, sir, is it possible that I could have a tour of this building? My first thought was, ma'am, if you would come back at one o'clock, we have prepared staff that will take you around and show you the building. But something in me said, no, you take her. Which I did. 
I took her and showed her everything, the choir suite, I showed her the television studios and all the stuff, the radio studio. I showed her everything. And then she said to me, actually, sir, if you, if you don't mind, I, I really would like to see the worship center. I knew, I knew. Everybody wants to see the worship center. That's where we're going right now. And as far as we were walking, I was talking to her. And she was responding. Wow, that's magnificent. Man, oh, this is beautiful. And on. And so I opened the doors of the worship center. And for some reason, the cleaning staff had left on the bright lights, which was actually good. So we walked in, in there. And uh, when you enter in through the door to where you actually walk through the risers to the front is quite a little distance. And I kept on talking to her. And I said, well, we are now going to walk into the worship center. And I was telling her about the number of seats. And then I realized there was no response from her. She was not talking back to me. I turned around and saw her lying flat on her face. I, I went back there, knelt next to her. I said, ma'am, are you okay? Are you, I, I thought she had tripped. I thought some, somehow something happened and she fell. And, and, and then I realized she was sobbing. She was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. I said, ma'am, are you okay? She said this, she said, yes, yes, I'm okay, I'm okay. I don't think I was ready for this. I said, ready for what? She said, I ran into the presence of God. Can I tell you something, church? The presence of God is in us, but there's a residue of his presence that remains in the place where the church worships. Almighty God. I'm sensing the, the anointing rising. I'm sensing that the presence of God beginning to fill this place. But my question would be how does this all connect with us? And I'm trying to finish as quickly as I can. How does this connect with us? After 40 years of the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon was built. God's glory was clearly evident during the time of the temple of Solomon. At the dedication, the glory of God came down so strong that the priests could not stand to their feet. And I'm believing God tonight that his presence is going to become so real in this place that people will not be able to stand to their feet, but come to full surrender of the Creator God. But the Bible tells us that over time, the people continuously offended God, and God decided reluctantly to withdraw His glory from the temple. I wish I had more time to explain all of this because I'm jumping over chapters and a lot of history. 
And the Bible says that the glory departed first from the mercy seat, then jumped to the threshold, then to the cherubim, and from there it jumped to the mountain top. And the Bible says, after that, his glory disappeared. And God was silent for 400 years. For 400 years, there was no new revelation from God. The glory had left. It's not like God died. It's not like God didn't do anything. But there was no new revelation. There was silence for 400 years until the day of John the Baptist when the first revelation came again. For 400 years, the Israelites learned what it meant to be without the presence of and the glory of God, including them to have taken, been taken captive and exiled to Babylon. And Amos 9:11 states, "There will come a day." Everybody say, "In that day." Say it like this: "On that day." On that day, say it again. It's important on that day. When I looked at it, I realized there had to be a day. There had to be a day. There will come a day when the tabernacle of David will be restored. And the good news is that day came. The day came when Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is is finished and the moment he said it is finished his work was completed and the Bible says that the veil in the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom indicating that everybody who will may come and walk into the holy of holies God wanted no separation between his presence and the people that's why he ripped the veil apart in a way that it could never be put together again because God wants his children God wants his people to come into to his presence. Now it's very interesting that my Bible says, and I'm sure yours says that too. On the day, here's the day. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were all in the upper room because Jesus said go and wait in the upper room they had no idea what was going to happen 
They had no idea what to expect. All they knew is that Jesus said, go and pray and wait on the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And the Bible says, on the day of Pentecost, while all the disciples were gathered in the upper room, they suddenly heard something. They heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. What was that? It's the glory that's released from heaven. It's the glory through a wind that's coming back to this earth because God is getting ready to restore what was lost. It was the glory returning through the wind on the day of Pentecost. Everybody say, God send the wind. Then there appeared what seemed to be tongues of fire. There had to be fire because the Bible says the fire must always burn on the altar. And what's more, in that moment when the glory came and the wind began to blow, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and God gave them a power greater than any person could ever think of. On that day, And God gave them a language that the devil could not understand. God gave them a language that gave them the ability to worship God on a higher level. And today when you and I begin to worship him in that way, the glorious presence of God begins to show up. You know what? I still got about five minutes of preaching, but I think I'm going to stop. I just want to tell you, the glory in the Old Testament became the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Now we have the glory and on that day, the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And God's promised restoration of the tabernacle of David was being fulfilled in the church. Now the fire of the Holy Ghost is burning in the heart of every believer. Paul says we are temples of the Holy Spirit.
Don't miss that. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon. It's no longer the tabernacle of David. It's in the life of every believer. Here it is now where the glory is. This is now where the power is. So can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we are the temples of the Holy Ghost. We are Zion. I said we are Zion. We host the presence of God. Lift your hands way high and give God a shout of praise. Let, let, let me just close with this. I've skipped over a lot. Let me close with this. When this happened, when this happened, the glory came down. Ever so suddenly, the Gentiles were saved. And the Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Jews were upset because they thought salvation belonged only to them. They did not realize that now that there's a new tabernacle, that everything has changed. There are now new rules. There are new regulations, which is what? It's open to every believer. And they were struggling and they came together in their general council and they had a meeting, a big disputation, a big argument. Why are the Gentiles getting saved? And when they were arguing about that, suddenly Acts 15 verse 15 and onward says, and with this the words of the prophet agrees the words of James he says this is what is written after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down I will rebuild its ruins I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord of hosts the unstoppable church is alive and well and has great power and Jesus said where any two or three of you gather together in my name there I am in the midst of them oh hallelujah where is God God is here tonight where is God he's in you tonight if you want him all you have to do is build yourself a little sukkot build yourself a little prayer place this is what I want you to do all over this house right Right now, I want you just to get together in two threes, two three. Quickly, just gather together all over this place. This this whole place is going to become an altar. Stand to your feet. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.